So this is, this is a rapid-paced uh, Wednesday night uh, because we're going to finish Psalm 119. And so we'll start with some discussion questions, but we have quite a few to work through. I think we're on shelter, so we're working quick. So if I'm speaking way too rapidly, that's why. Either way, we'll get through it. So we're on the idea of shelter. We'll have a couple uh, discussion questions, but we probably won't break up into groups. We'll just do a little shout-out uh, of that and then kind of keep working our way through. So we closed last week with this idea that we need to follow God's Word consistently. And then obviously, and I'll mention again, Psalm 119, the way it's structured and framed, obviously it's all about God's Word. And so you're going to have some of these themes overlap. But to tie into this idea of following it consistently, it does then require that we, and that's the next one, shelter consistently. So I'm going to read Psalm 113, Psalm 113 through 120. It says, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. And here's the idea of shelter. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Depart from me, evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according unto thy word that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Hold thou me up, and I shall be safe, and I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. Thou hast trodden down all them that err from thy statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. And that's a confidence in knowing that God's truth prevails, even though circumstances may seem otherwise in this world. Thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love thy testimonies. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. And, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but that's not the fear like a kid is afraid. It is reverence and respect for him. Uh, I put here, uh, it's very normal to seek shelter in your own home when a storm is brewing. Uh, I think all of us would like to beat the storm home, right? There's not a single person that says, you know what? I hope it's downpouring when I get out and go grocery shopping. And then I hope it stops while I'm in the store, then pours again when I carry my groceries to the car. And when I get home, I hope the garage is filled with junk. And so I have to park outside and carry everything. And no one wants to be out in the storm, out in the, the rain. We, we are driven to be in our home, to see the storm from our living room, our kitchen, our bedroom, wherever it is. And we like being home because that's where we are comfortable, where we feel we have what we need, uh, where we know we don't have to go somewhere else, right? Because if you're somewhere else, you know you need to get home. Uh, in this section of Psalm 119, and this is what I'm hoping we, we are driven to, uh, he seeks shelter and affirming this truth that he's not interested in trying out something else. And I compare it to being home in a storm. Where do you want to be in a storm? You want to be home. And this is the question. Is Scripture home? Or are you looking for something else? We have a host of people in, in the Christian church, and I would say in, in, in the Western culture, Eastern culture, that's what I'm learning as I travel around the world, that the church is plagued oftentimes with the same things. We love to look and say, oh yeah, the church in Nicaragua, it plagued with the same stuff. They might have less money to play with, but same, same struggles that come in. But we're always trying something out. There's some other answer. There's some other comfort. There's some other place we'd rather be or rather land. And what he's saying is that the Word of God is the place of refuge and the grounds of his hope. He's not looking for hope anywhere else. And as we shelter in the Word, it leads us to know God as he truly is and not as we imagine him to be. One of the reasons we struggle to shelter in God's Word is because what it tells us we want to believe something else. 
We want a God revealed that is of our own making, which is not God. Whenever people say, well, the God I worship is a God of, I'm like, whoa, we, we, wandered, we wandered off off the beaten path here when we said the God that I worship. You either worship God for who he is and how he's revealed himself, or you're not worshiping God because then you're worshiping an idol. And that's the idea of coming to shelter is, is coming to the reality of who God is and actually realizing the truth that that's where we should find our comfort and that's where only comfort can be found. That's why he says, I hate vain thoughts. I don't dive into these other things, but thy law do I love. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Nothing the world offers tempts him to seek shelter in anything else. And so he responds, as we mentioned, in all to God's word. That's the trembling. That's the fear. That's that last one. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I'm afraid of thy judgments. And that's not, I'm afraid of what God's judgment will be. Because remember, we read the word judgment. It is ordinance. It is decisions. So I am reverencing your decisions. I will live within the parameters that you have set. If in your Christian walk, you find yourself pushing against the judgments. And that's why I mentioned to you before when someone says, well, I like Jesus, but I don't like what that Paul guy wrote. Or I like Jesus, but I don't like what the Old Testament says. Uh, Same God. And so if you're pushing against it, then you're actually, you are not reverencing the judgments of God, the ordinance of God. You're saying to God, I don't like you for who you are. You need to be more like me. You need to adjust to me, God, not what Scripture tells us the other way around. And so when he emphasizes that, it's a good place of humility, but it's a good place to to buffer against. When I find myself wrestling against God's ordinance, when I push back against that, that reveals something about me, that Scripture's not my hiding place, but instead the world's wisdom is my hiding place. A proper view of God as defined by God's Word, and the psalmist says, I shelter in that, knowing this, that nothing is eternally profitable can come from any other shelter. Thus, as he says, he says, depart from me, evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. That becomes tough sometimes when the world pushes back, but what happens when you're sitting next to someone in church and they do that? And I want you to recognize the definition. When you don't do what God says to do, then you're a what? You're a hypocrite. You're an evildoer. I'm just going with the. In other words, we make it soft. Like, well, I guess that's your opinion. <laughs> no, it's actually the opposite opinion of God, right? So you're a hypocrite, or you're a liar, or you're a evildoer. You're in sin. We soft pedal it too much. And so I'm trying to drive us that when we find our comfort in God's word, but I want you to recognize when you don't, it's indicative of a problem. And it's not, with, it's not God's problem, it's now your problem. His safe place, the psalmist said, is the real Word of God that reveals the real God to him. And then we kind of get to this thought question, a few things, because what's described here is someone not tempted to seek shelter in anything but God's Word. And then I have as a thought question here, what are tempting other shelters? So let's just pause for a second. What what can rise up in our life to tempt us without maybe even us knowing it to be something we shelter in? Is there some kind of, you can just throw, throw out an answer if you have it. What are some other shelters that people run to? 
your own, you, you, you don't feel convicted, right? You're just, it, it feels, life feels good, right? That's, that can be a shelter, your own, I call numbness. That boils down to it. Yeah. Approval comes in. Um, hey, everyone's happy with me, which kind of ties to yours and being at peace, right? Sometimes with that. I wrote one down. You good? You, that was my number one. Science. We can rest in science. I still remember years ago, this comedian asking, who here believes in evolution? And only half of the candidates for president raised their hand. He mocked the other ones forever because in his mind, science is the most important thing. But you go into, this might step on, uh, this might just hit us a little closer, right? Uh, you deal with the science and of climate change, right? You've heard that one. That one's in the news a lot. And then here's the question. We don't ever deny, uh, deny stewardship, right? God's given us a resource that we need to take care of, but does that go in the face of Scripture? Can man knock the world out of God's hands? Well, no, it can't. Is the world in God's hands? Well, it says so. And he holds it. Who sustains it? Actually, Jesus Christ, it says, sustains it with his word. And it's Colossians. It's in Hebrews. You're going to find it in the Old Testament. It's, it's woven through the fabric. Uh, I put here, what is another tempting shelter? Uh, someone we enjoy. A writer, an author. How easy it is to fall into it. Yes, sir. Movies, yeah, you can, the theater, entertainment, right? It can, can drive us that this is the comfort we seek, the, the, the life we live. And it might sound, you know, say, oh, who does that? It'd be only kid. No, I've seen so many adults whose life is lived like a movie. And you're like, do you believe that? You're living like you believe the movies is actually real life. And it's not. I put here our habits. Has that ever been a shelter? Tradition, habits, yeah. Self, yeah. You're resting in yourself and, and who you are. I think the traditions, the habits, the self, we can make a lot of other things our shelter. And, and the point I'm trying to make is, is there is a warmth to sheltering in the Lord, but there's also a submission to sheltering in his word. And that is everything else that I've just listed and you've listed is subservient to his word. What does Paul say? Let every man be what? A liar. Yeah. I used to do with the little kids. I've shared this before. The Bible is true and everything else. And if you disagree with it, it's not. We had a little pithy statement that I've obviously forgotten. So, That can be also dangerous, right? You can make church into an idol. Church has a function. It's a body of believers coming together. You're not to forsake worshiping with each other, right? But if you turn that into your idol... That's the wrong shelter, right? He's sheltered in his word, uh, and the, the psalmist is finding a shelter in the word, and he's unwilling, and this is, this is the interesting thing, unwilling to entertain a different concept, and it's not speaking to his stubbornness. It's speaking to his conviction. It's speaking to whom, in whom he believes. Here is the, the fact that this one hit home to me. If I believe in God as he's revealed in Scripture, I will not be tempted with another shelter. That when science rears its head, I say, yeah, I don't care if the world mocks me. I believe in him because I know who he is, and he's revealed it to us. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and it starts very small. 
because you shift and you listed something that's very important. What is our grounding force? Where is God revealed to us? It's in his word. We come to worship so we learn more about him and that we actually worship him. But as a believer, if you ever check your Bible in at the door, you know something's off. We, we, we love to pick on the Catholic Church with this. You go back in history, and, and they were not for people having God's Word in their hands. Why? What do they say? The church will tell you what God wants you to know. In other words, everything went through the church. But we know that we're supposed to have His Word, right? We hide His Word in our hearts. As a believer, you cannot check your Bible at the door. Uh, if you're in a place of worship uh, that makes it, and this is a very, very physical thing to think of, it makes it hard for you to look at your Bible while someone's preaching, you're in the wrong place. It's not a smoke and mirrors. It's not supposed to be this entertainment environment. It's supposed to be where you could worship and you need to worship in truth. And, and so when we come to this, you have to have a heart that says, no, but I, I am driven to his word. Uh, we want a discerning church, and that's what it means. You will never be discerning. It's actually one of the points I'm going to bring up for the younger men in, in this Sunday's message. I was just working on it today, and I was writing, and this idea of being sober-minded, which is just, we have like four different English words for the exact same word in Greek, which means that you are self-controlled, and, and you go into some depth with the younger men on being self-controlled, and if you're not in God's Word, as he tells Timothy, flee youthful lusts, follow righteousness. And then later on in that same chapter three, he says how you are supposed to be trained in righteousness. All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, and that's how you get it. In other words, we must be driven into God's word to be discerning, to be able to understand it. And if we negate God's word, if you don't shelter in God's word, the fact is you will be pulled in by somebody else. And we are to call everything to task in scripture. This is where we're finding our hope and our peace. I know from uh, counseling situations, and you watch it, there becomes a dependency on the counselor. And whenever I see that even developing, you're not even trying to, it's time to say, whoa, we got we to stop because you're shifting, you're shifting where you shelter in. You're not finding help in his word. You're starting to find help in the words of somebody else. We're supposed to constantly be bringing someone to um, to the scriptures. And, and that's what's interesting. Culture for this psalmist was pressing in with options. So much so that, see, these people are, are, are very similar to, I, I think in, in our minds, our culture today, though maybe not to where we are right now, but the idea was they were in name only followers of Yahweh. They were looking at other ways to engage. And this is Israel. This is not some foreign land. This is uh, God's people there. And he's reaching his ending point. And so he's eager for the Lord's immediate involvement. He says, it's time for thee, Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. And that's what we're getting to next. The psalmist is passionate about God's way because, and this is the next one, if I can get this thing to work. Did I go the right way? Yeah think so. Uh, this is the idea because he values God's word consistently. And I wrote something in a longer form, and I think it's worthwhile to say this. He battles for the word consistently. So as he says, it's time for thee, Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. It is not him wanting to pour wrath on people. It's him ready to value consistently God's word 
or battle consistently. But when I put the word battle consistently, it sounds like you're battling against Scripture. And then I put battle for consistently and being plagued with this need to keep the words just two, I put values consistently. But the idea is he's fighting for God's Word. Look at 121 through 128. I have done just judgment and justice. Leave me not to mine oppressors. Be surety for thy servant for good. Let not the proud oppress me. Mine eyes fail for thy salvation and for the word of thy righteousness. In other words, he is at his wit's end here. Deal with thy servant according unto thy mercy and teach me thy statutes. I am thy servant. Give me understanding that I may know thy testimonies. This is the one I just read. It is time for thee, Lord, to work, for they have made void thy law. Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. Talk about a lot of alls. I esteem, I value your minutia about everything to be right. You're never wrong about anything. And I hate every false way. He's facing this mounting pressure against truly following God's law. And so he longs for God's immediate earthly action, actually, he's calling on it. Yet as the pressure mounts, we find him even more devoted. Kidner knows this. He says, it is the logic of loyalty to be more devoted the more the pressure grows. As people come in and say, why are you doing this? And they afflict him for following the law. And they, they question him and they nitpick. And, and, and let's define people, family, friends, colleagues. That's the people that'll come in. These are the nitpickers. These are the ones that are going to undermine. They're the daily life nibblers that are going to try to eat away at it. And it appears to the psalmist that the wrong are winning. Their point of view is the one expressed and it bothers him. And I put a thought question in my mind. Does it bother you when the wrong view is expressed and put in there? doesn't mean you want to fight somebody over it. I'm saying, does it actually bother you when God's perspective is not put highest. He values the word so much that it pains him to see it trampled down. So he calls, he prays for God's direct and immediate involvement. He prays for divine intervention. By that, I mean miraculous intervention to change the trajectory of the thought that's there. Actually, it's mercy on those people for God to get involved and for them to see God's law. They don't perceive it as mercy, but that is God's mercy there. I put as a thought question, because I know we can give the church answer, so we probably all will. Is, this, is that how we respond to and for the Word of God? And then everyone's here is like, yes, they're going to say yes, but be honest with yourself. I want you to process back. The last time family, friend, colleague was attacking God's Word, what did you say? How did you think? How did you handle it? And I'm not saying you have an argument every time. I'm saying, how do you value it consistently? And your answer is in how you answered. I don't have to tell you where you value it. Where does it sit? Does someone else sit higher than God's word or does God sit higher than that person? Because this is his word. This is what he said. This is how he says it works. It's not open as scripture is very clear to private interpretation. It's open to what he says it is. So what do you do in response to it? The psalmist says, God intervene, calling it down. And again, 
I'm not saying go out there and be the most obnoxious person out there because the reality is we bump into family, friends, and colleagues that are unsaved and attack God's word. I'm just saying, how do we condone it? What do we do? Do we constantly bring a presence of the value of God's word to the conversation, or do we capitulate to the person or the pressure that's there? The psalmist is telling us that we don't, that we are to stand and step forward. I put here as a secondary thought, are we bothered by the world's rejection of the word because it is God's word or just because it's our religion? Because I know we can all say, I'm bothered by that. And I've seen some people get bothered and I've been bothered. And then I realize I'm bothered because they're going against me and what I believe, not because they're going against truth and who God is. And that's just a secondary thought in there is to see where our pushback what is the motive for our pushback when you're dialoguing and you're, and you're responding to people? Uh, which I think brings us to where we started when, when we, we were looking at this. I don't know if you've ever listened to a book on audio and, and set the talking speed. You ever listen to an audio book and set the speed to 1.5 or 2? Because you're going to go through it quickly. Uh, that's what the rest of the night's going to look like. So here we go. We're diving in to this uh, as we, we speed through. I might not even be able to hit these things right as we go. Uh, but we're going to dive into um, each of these quickly. Uh, up here, actually, I want to mention this before I get started so I don't forget. I just put this on my memorize uh, card for a very specific reason. Order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me, which just told me if I don't want any iniquity to have dominion over me, what do I need to have? My steps ordered in his word. And so that we'll talk about this. The next one is we're called to continue consistently 129 through 136. And if all we do is read through the scriptures, it's worthwhile because that's where uh, the truth rests. Thy testimonies are wonderful. Therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Look thou upon me and be merciful unto me, as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant, and teach me thy statutes. Rivers of water run down mine eyes, because they keep not thy law. And I, I read that verse, and it's up there to know it. Here is a passionate plea to be deeply vested in God's word, to continue consistently in it. How are you not going to be overtaken with sin? To be constantly in God's word. Struggling with sin, what should you do? Get in the Word. How often? Continue consistently. Permeated with His Word so as not to let sin have dominion over you, not to have the rule in your life, not to be the controlling factor. It talked about shaping Everything is shaped. Our defense against this world manipulation and rule is shaped, is formed by his word, by scripture. And that doesn't come from anyone being casually connected to his word. That's one of the reasons I say it over and over. I, I, just, I don't buy into the five minutes a day. I, I, I know that's great if you need to get started, but it's not great. You need to be beyond that. You're not going to survive spiritually on five minutes a day. You're not going to survive spiritually flipping to a psalm to read something to suddenly get you a bit of a boost for the day. You've got to be in his word. Otherwise, sin will have dominion over you in some way, shape, or form. It is impossible 
for it not to. I sit up here so I see, I see the audience, right? And so you can watch different people become offended at the preaching of God's word. My biggest fear is that it's my obnoxious personality that drives someone away and not the truth of God's word. But people do walk out at some point. People reach the point and they're, they're, they're done. And you think, wow, it took three years, it took five years, it took six months, it took one sermon. I don't know. Why is it? What, what is it? Now, if we can find something obnoxious in ourselves and how we spoke, then we think immediately that that's the cause. But when there's nothing there, you answer the question why, and it's this, the world or some component of it has the rule. And when that's confronted in someone who's not deeply engaged, who's not continuing consistently, they, it seems, inevitably choose their ideology and follow it. When I watch people walk away, and trust me, from there, you get to see it periodically. It doesn't happen all the time. Thank heavens, it's more discouraging than you can imagine. But when you see someone walk out, walk away, be done with it, they're finished, you know that they ran against what they valued most, and they said, I will not sacrifice that. I will not get rid of that. I will not submit that, because that ideology, or whatever it is, is what they prefer over God. And they could have easily superficially studied Scripture, but they've only superficially studied Scripture, so the slightest wind of change blows them off course. They're fine with God when He's tradition, but when He gets into their world, when He gets into what they want, it knocks them off track. We, as God's people, are to continue consistently in His Word, and it's to be our joy and pleasure to do so. Uh, We must And that's the next section, delight consistently, 137 through 144. And I'll read this one now. Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. My zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. I am small and despised, yet do not I forget thy precepts. In other words, I'm a nothing, but I'm still not going to let go of following your minutiae. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me. And this is where I get the delight consistently. Yet thy commandments are my delights. And I want you to understand what he just said. Life stinks right now. It's not good. It's off. It's, it, this is not, hey, just had a conference, had a great cup of coffee, and stayed awake through the whole sermon, and met some friends, and we had a great meal that night, and we hung out, or went to church, had a great... None of this. No, nothing's rosy. He's talking about non-rosy life. But he says something in, in context of that is, yet thy commandments are my delight. So in other words, it doesn't matter if I'm getting what I want out of this life. I still delight in God's law in his word, and his truth. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall live. And that's the understanding of truth. God's word stands forever. He's not changing his word. And so he understands the eternal nature of who God is and therefore seeks to have understanding in that. Uh, We will be connected to what we love and desire. And I wrote a bunch of things, but I I almost want to just um, dive into this one question. Uh, Do you love God's Word? It was interesting. One writer noted this. If you trust God's Word, thoroughly testing it in the crucible of your life over the years, you will find it not only true, but also delightful 
you will come to love it. I read that quote, and I, I, I appreciate it, because there are a host of people that bump into life, and then they go to God's Word, and I've heard them say it to me over and over at times, just different people, yeah, I'm just not getting anything out of my reading. I, I don't feel warmth. I don't feel light. I don't feel life. And you know what you should do? Keep reading it. Don't stop. You're not going to find hope elsewhere, right? That's going to go all the way to shelter consistently in it. And you chase something else, you've walked away from hope. But we need to be in, invested in his word through all of life, the ups and downs and everything. And what we're going to find is this deep delight in his word. You will love it. I put here, so do you find that you love the word? Not, not because you're supposed to say that but because it is deeply integrated into your life and you actually know it is true, delightful, and it garners your deepest affection. Where do you turn when life throws a curveball? And I know that if you need to read a technical manual about how to rewire your house, you kind of have to to rewire your house because you're not going to the Bible to see how to poke one wire to the next. I'm just saying when that emotion and the pressure of life break into life, where do you go to get the stability or the direction you need? The word permeating into the fabric of our life is seen next in how we cry consistently. We delight in His Word no matter what's going on, and then how do we respond to this? And it's that first verse that we're going to get to. It says, let me change that and see if it's there. Did I get to the right one? No, I skipped that slide so you couldn't read it. Now I'm on the next one. Cry consistently. Um, it starts with that first word. I cried with my whole heart. Hear me, O Lord, I will keep thy statutes. I cried unto thee, save me, and I shall keep thy testimonies. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried. I hoped in thy word. And the word prevented there means I, I basically got up before the dawning of the morning. Mine eyes prevent the night watches. In other words, I stayed up past dark uh, that I might meditate in thy word. Hear my voice according unto thy loving kindness, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgment. They draw nigh that follow after mischief. They are far from thy law. Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. And here is the scripture woven into the all of life, and it's a picture of someone who's of the word, and we find that in everything, he is crying out to God through his word. My whole heart, hear me, O Lord. And I, and I love this. I'm up before the dawning, and I'm up into the night watch because I am driven to cry out in anguish. When I am under pressure, don't, don't miss. When in anguish and trouble, I delight in thy word. And now he's talking about this is his Christ, crying out with my whole heart, not part, right? If you put everything in it, if this is your your all your effort, and then my whole heart is, I put all my eggs in that basket, that everything is vested in the Lord and through his word. And so he's saying is, I'm going to cry consistently. Everything is going to be for you. And I put here, I wonder if God's word is the cry of our heart. Are we up early and late to study his word? Is it constantly our cry? I can read sometimes fast, sometimes not, but I can read a lot. It's not hard for me to read. And so if I get a mentality 
that I've read something. For me to read seven chapters, it, it just doesn't throw me off. To read Leviticus was three cups of tea. I like drinking tea. I like to read. If I have a comfortable chair and the font is big enough, I can do this. This is not difficult. But you see how easy it is because it's easy for me to read. I quickly can check a box and not be crying consistently through his word. It can't be everything. It, it's not as, and so I, ha, I checked myself when I hit this one and thought, whoa, wait a second. Is that how I approach life? Is this, is this to whom I cry? Is this everything I have, every part of my heart vested here? I, have, I can be thinking two things at once sometimes. And so I realize that even as I approach God's word, even as I approach it with the idea that I'm reading his word to solve the problem, I find this ugly idol popping up all the time, and it's called me. Because I'll be thinking a thought, tracking, and I'm not just being quiet and completely vested, whole heart into this. Do we literally cry with our whole heart in his word and through his word? Not part of it, not the first solution, the whole, the whole of it. Everything, is it all? Are we hedging our bets just a little bit? Are we banking on a little 20% from us, a 10%, a 5%, a 1%? Is something from us, something from somebody else? Or are we crying through his word? He cried out constantly to God through his word. And as we'll see in the next portion, he made a point to consider consistently. And some of these will feel like they have an overlap. But let me read 153 to 160. Consider mine affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget thy law. And that's where I get the idea of consider consistently. Or I've used the word think consistently, but I want you to, if you highlight, highlight that. I do not forget, or I do not forget thy law is not just about the fact that you've forgotten something. The idea behind that is that you think of it. To not forget his law in life means you think of his law through life. It's a part of who you are. Going on, plead my cause and deliver me, quicken me according to thy word. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they seek not thy statutes. See where he's correlating something? Salvation's far because they don't listen to what you say. They don't, they don't follow what your dictates are. Great are thy tender mercies, O Lord. Quicken me according to thy judgments. And there are God's mercy linked to God's ordinances, God's decisions. Many are my persecutors and mine enemies, yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. Consider how I love thy precepts. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy loving kindness. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. And what do we have there about God's word? It's true from what? The beginning to the end, which there's none, (laughs) forever. Your word stands true. Let God be true and every man a liar. And he's saying that boldly in this situation. I don't forget thy law, yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. As the section closes, we get the needed perspective to consider consistently. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. That's a trust, right? That's not someone struggling with the Old Testament God. That's not someone struggling with how God has redeemed mankind. It's not someone questioning God and how he does what he does. That's someone saying God's true from start till forever. He's never not been true. And it's in 
everything. Those words are critical as you read this. All, everything. I don't forget. I always do this. These are points of reference to drive us to his word. And when you actually believe that verse, then his word is considered all the time. When we do not consider consistently, we have an indication on how we actually think of Scripture. Because we encounter life, we act with His Word in view, and when life seems to act against us, we keep His Word in view. So I just want you to think about this. As we encounter life and we need to make a decision, we need to move, it's action, we're, 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 we're making life happen. You have those times in life, right? We're like, whew. I'm the enzyme. I'm the catalyst. I'm the one moving. And you, you can quickly get outside of the realms of Scripture. You can start thinking how smart you are, how things are moving in the right direction. You'll use sometimes phrases, well, I prayed about that. Now I'm moving forward. I got God checked off. Oop, check God, prayed, read some Bible, but now I'm on. Let me think. Let me work. This is action. You're moving forward. And then you and I both know that life happens to you, right? Now you're not the catalyst. Now you feel like a kickball. And it's at an elementary playground, and there's only one ball, and there's 400 kids. You're getting kicked, and it's not stopping, and life's moving. Now, the question comes, do you rest consistently in him? Look at 161 through 168. Princes have persecuted me without a cause. Now, I want you to hit a little bit quickly because we see the word princes and we don't really have princes, right? Except they have them in England and we adopt them even though we want our independence over them, right? So we get a king even though we don't want one, we didn't want one. But the idea of princes, we, we lost the touch with that because they're, they're, they're puppets in, in our opinion, right? They don't have power in, in that sense. They got a lot of money but no power in that, in that realm. Princes here are people that rule. These are people who have power. They have, they have the ability to dictate. This is a different type of economy. This is not the United States of America. Princes rule by fiat. They, they can say and do. In other words, he's being afflicted by the people in charge. That's what he's sharing. Princes have persecuted me without a cause. There's, there's really hard when there's no cause, right? Because you can't fix anything. When you're being persecuted for no reason, then there's nothing you can do to fix that problem. You haven't done something wrong. But what does he say? But my heart standeth in all of thy word. And that's a critical connect point. The ruling people, what do, what do, what do dictators want from people? They want obedience. They want fear. They want reverence. If you're in, was it North Korea? I guess it is that, you know, and, and you don't sing loud enough. If you don't salute with gusto, you die. Right? They want you to have awe. If you go to Nicaragua, uh, as I mentioned before, I don't know if I was in this context. I'll say it again. Uh, the, the, one of the second highest guys done nothing wrong. He's in prison right now because the dictator thinks he looked wrong, sneezed wrong, dressed wrong. I don't know. Did something wrong. And so he's, he's locked up. That's what princes demand. Now think about it. He says, absolutely not. I have awe in thy word. He goes on, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Actually, there's a whole host of monostatic orders that take that verse and they make sure they praise God seven times a day. It's part of what they do built from this verse right here. Talk about taking something out of context. There you go. Um, but seven times a day, the idea is it's a perfect number. It just, just permeates who he is. I praise thee 
because of thy righteous judgments. Now, don't forget how the section started. Princes have persecuted me without a cause. The world is coming in. He is rejoicing in him. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. But princes have persecuted me without cause. But great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. This is resting consistently in God's word. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. Life comes at us, injustice occurs, often because of who we are in Christ. But will that sway your trust in his word? Will that make you doubt? Will that crumble you? And the psalmist says no. I'm cautious here. I think of, it's easy sometimes at certain points in life to say, it won't crush me. And then I realize, as old as my kids see me, I'm still mid, midway. I'm, I'm, you know, I haven't even had that midlife crisis yet. I'm just waiting for it, you know. What cool motorcycle can I buy? What, what car am I going to get? You know, I just keep wondering. Heather says, matchbox car, you can buy anything for a dollar at Target, you know, and that's all you're allowed to buy. Uh, but but I'm, I, I recognize that I'm, I'm 40-something. It, when you walk into a situation, and, and there's times you do, and, and you're up against somebody who's wrestling with life, and, and you recognize something sometimes, like just even dealing with life and, and someone's, they're walking through a horrible time. We're so easy to say, oh, I would never do that. And then I realize there's a lot of life left in front. And so I, I don't say the rest consistently in a cavalier way. I ask it to be kind of a soul-searching question that you don't arrogantly respond to. But you seek him. And you pray to him and you walk to him because we want us to say with the psalmist, no. Instead, he closes saying he will, and this is the end of it, pray consistently. And I'm terrible at moving this when I talk fast, as you can see that. That's actually the last verse of Psalm 119, and I love it. This is a perspective we're supposed to have. After all of what he said, I just want you to just, just think on this. 175 verses, he's talked about not going astray. And then he says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Yeah. The more you realize this is humility right here. This is reality. This is living it right. This is not some pretense. This is recognizing something about us that will protect us from Satan, the pride that, that comes in. Let me read it. Let my cry come near before thee, O Lord. Give me understanding according to thy word. Let my supplication come before thee. Deliver me according to thy word. My lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. And I just, 172, what does your tongue talk about? He wants his tongue to speak of God's word. Let thine hand help me, for I have chosen thy precepts. I have longed for thy salvation, O Lord, and thy law is my delight. Let my soul live, and it shall praise thee, and let thy judgments help me. And then that last verse, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. And then the next ones, and this one's missing from there. The next words say this, seek thy servant. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. Who 
does he ultimately, and sorry, it's not on there, so I'll quit pointing there. Um, the three words that are critical in this one are missing <laughs> from the typing, you know, keynotes, low battery, missing words. It's in the Bible, though. There it is. Um, Seek thy servant. Who is he trusting in at the end? God. Yeah, Christ. This is a guy that just spent 175 verses talking about how much he loves the minutia from God, the decisions from God, the overarching law of God. He loves his word. He loves his promises. He loves his commandments. He loves everything that God has said. And then he says, I'm a lost sheep. Seek thy servant. And you recognize this. Does he trust in any sense his, himself? Are sheep smart? If, are sheep even clean and cuddly? And if you think so, go hug a sheep in a field. You'll change your mind. If you're going to church and you do that, we're going to put you out in the lobby, all right? That's just what's going to happen. The reality is this. He just likened himself. He took no pride. I'm a lost sheep. And he says, seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. I need him. After a whole long, long psalm, very artistically written, by the way, this guy is not some sloppy poet out there. Psalm 119 is up there with some of the more intricate writings. It is an example of high intellect. He's a lost sheep. And I just put a a question here, kind of ignoring everything I wrote. Um, Who do you rely in? Is it ultimately yourself? Or are you going to trust in the ever-reliable one, (coughs) the one who does seek us, And so the psalm closes (coughs) with the example of one who prays the Word consistently. Who do I trust in? I trust in God. I know I'm going to fail. (coughs) I know I'm going to stumble. I know I'm not strong enough in of myself, but I know the one who is. I know Him personally, and I keep going to Him, seeking His help to live for Him. We do well to pray the first one of this section as well. Let my cry come near thee, O Lord. Give me understanding according to thy word. That is Psalm 119. As I blaze through, I even did it before 815 hit, so I have a chance to make uh, two announcements. Not this one first. I'll make that one sec- <coughs> second. But <coughs> next week is May 31st. Tucked right in there. We go, you got, got the last May one. And I just want to remind you that I'm not preparing anything. So we're coming together as a church gathering together. And what I'd love for us to do is work your way back through Psalm 119 and write down three key life applications and takeaways. And I I added this on purpose for you personally. This is your response. This is something you can apply. I say three in case someone says yours that you can't say, well, that was what I was going to say. You know, the first person gets repeated 25 times. We don't want that. We want, we want some sense of variety I'm not looking, you're not looking to, to, it's not wow it, it's just go through this and, and think through some of the, the components. What is an illustration of it? I'm saying it now so we have a week to forget it so someone else could use this, right? Uh, I think I've showed you this. I'm enamored with the word precepts. Why? It's minutia. I'm, I'm, I'm enamored with this idea of keeping the minutia, 
that, that it's not just 30,000 feet, but it's in the details of life. So that's something to take away of how intricately involved, how woven God's word should be in our life. It's in the minutia. So that's just something for me sharing. It's that kind of idea uh, that would come forward. So just be ready to share. If you're not comfortable talking, just write it down. You don't have to put your name, and I'll share it from here as a thought. But we'll just kind of work around the room just talking about it. And I hope that as, as a body of believers, as we come together, we're learning from each other. Iron sharpens iron. So as we come to, to know his word and worship and pray, we also have a chance to talk with each other in dialogue. So this is, uh, I say this today, I won't say it next week. It's not brag session, right? You're not seeing how theologically re- resounding you can say this. We're like, hey, this should be a quote. They should carve this in stone. This is this good. This is, we're not looking for that. We're looking for real life dive in. How can we, and, and the idea is to help us sharpen each other, to help us grow together as we take Psalm 119. So I encourage you to read through it, uh, think through it. And then this last um, slide here, and the papers are down there. If you're smart enough to use your phone and scan the QR code, it'll take you right to Amazon where you could buy the book, Respectable Sins. You may have already read this book. This is what we're doing in Open Church. So we're going to walk through four um, small group sessions. So this is how Open Church works. Uh, We'll get to that right after... we have camp for the teens. We'll have some time. There's about four times. We come together. Uh, we'll bring desserts. So we'll share desserts. We'll have a good time. We'll start out uh, together. I will share a few thoughts. And few will put me on a timer if we have to. Five minutes or something like that. Seven minutes maybe. I'll keep pushing it. Maybe ten. We'll see. You guys are supposed to stop me, but you didn't. You just let me keep talking. Before you know it, I'll teach for 45 minutes. But the idea is five minutes from me chatting, just setting the tone. And then we're going to split up in small groups all over the church. And when I say small groups, I mean sizes like this, four to six people where we can get together and kind of work through the study God in this. So we're going to do a, a small group Bible study uh, as we, we move around the room. We can stay in the same groups as we work through this. Uh, we'll be sending things out on email and, and encouraging people to be involved in it. Uh, we also want to take the summer, and when I say open church, the, the concept behind it is play ball with some of the teens, play soccer, play on the playground if you really want to. Uh, with the little ones, whatever your level might be. We're going to have some time of just fun and fellowship out there just to, to hang out together, enjoy dessert together through the summer. Uh, so if you have a famous pie, I'm very interested in you making it. So bring that, whatever it might be. It's just a time of fellowship, but also of Bible study. And you want to buy this exact copy of Respectable Sins. And I'll share this. It's, there's a copy right on the table. It has the study guide in it. And you're going to want that study guide. So this is, I bought three books to find the right one. So we got the right one there that we want to buy. And so we'll be reading that. So it's reading for the summer, but also working through it. It's not short. And so obviously we'll move it through a lot of material in our small group. So your group might land on a different area, but that's the beauty of, of talking together. And it's just to confront our complacency. That's what I love about this book. Uh, it, it quickly, things that we've not made sin or have condoned, uh, Jerry Bridges does a phenomenal job of stepping on toes, to use an expression that's overdone, but to confront our thinking, to bring conviction. Uh, it's one of the more convicting books I've read, and so I enjoy it. I'm looking forward to going back through it again. Uh, one of my favorite books from him is The Pursuit of Holiness, which we did in our quads, and I'll, I'll be writing a little bit, putting out, but summer reading, trying to get people to read and, and grow in their faith. There'll be some things, but that's, that's it for that. Next week, you're teaching. Uh, in some in some regard, there, and we're looking forward to a wonderful time.